and of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there is no end. There is no end. Because he's the Prince of Peace. We've been talking about rest. Father, thank you for your work. We've been talking about rest. Remember there it says, uh, having these promises, we're going to enter into the rest. But it says, let us fear lest the promise being made of us, uh, us to us of entering his rest, any of you should seem to come short. I won't tell you you hadn't come short. It just seems like it sometimes. But it says, he that's entered into God's rest must first cease from his own works as God did from his. So let us quickly enter into God's rest. God's rest. It's his rest. And he's zealous over his rest. And Jesus is the prince of peace. Rest and peace is ours. It's part of the exchanged life of the kingdom. So it's, it's already given to you. So we're going to rest in it. But today I'm going to talk about the consciousness of the presence and the victory of what Christ has done for us. Now that consciousness is something you know. It's, it's set in stone. You know that you know and nothing can take it from you. That's what's needed in the body of Christ. Your identity, knowing exactly who you are and why you're here and what you're to do. And with that comes boldness to understand. And that's why we need that consciousness of the victory that we have. We were crucified with him. We were died with him. We were buried with him. We suffered with him. We were justified with him. We were made alive with him. We conquered Satan with him. And we were raised together and seated with him in heavenly places. Those are eternal truths that's yours. And they cannot be moved. You know, in Romans 6, 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be unemployed, that we should no longer serve sin. Okay? Knowing this. I want you to concentrate on this, knowing this. That, that word know, it's what it means. It's set in stone. It's something you know that you know and you know her. You just know it. In the whole New Testament, this word knowing this, knowing that, the knowledge, 224 times it's used. Why do you think that's important? You know, in John 8, 29, then Jesus said to those Jews that believed into him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. We've heard Brother Wayne many times say, truth won't set you free. Selah, think of that a minute. It's the truth you know that sets you free. It's your confidence of what you know. The truth you know will set you free. And that's the thing about it. I, I would encourage you, just look at that, knowing this, knowing this, knowing that. It's used so many times. And that's why it's important for us to know these things. The resurrection of Jesus is proof of the victory that we have in him. You can't argue with the resurrection. I mean, they witnessed it, and they saw him. That's the proof of what we have. Every born-again Christian in the mind of God has the victory over Satan. Our victory is the victory of Christ. Living by the victory of another. Living by the rest of another. The peace of another. Everything of another. We have been lifted above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Not only in this age, but the age to come. God has put all things under our feet. Say, it's under my feet. 
All right. We have been given the power of attorney so that in the name of Jesus, every demon and every power has to obey in the name of Jesus. In the lips of the believer. You know, I was reading the book of Acts chapter four this morning. Peter then went up to the temple and said, you know, the blind man begging silver and gold have a none, but such as I have given unto you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up. And then they all got amazed when this guy was healed. And then they started trying to make them gods. And, and Peter said, why are you looking at us like this? That by our own power and authority, we've done this. I want you to know something. Now, this is the Peter that was denying he even knew him. But he had an exchange of soul with boldness, confidence, knowing something. And he says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, is faith in his name that makes this man whole before you. Now, that's boldness. That's confidence. That's knowing something. See, this whole Christian faith rests on the fact that you know something. And it can't be taken away from you. Because all hell and the devils and religion and, and people are out to take away what you know. Yeah, but. I'm telling you. They're out there to try to take your faith. But we have it. God's ability is the ability that he gives us. So his resurrection is the proof of our right to reign over Satan and the demons. Romans 5.17 says, for, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life now by one Christ Jesus. Amen. And there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. One name, the name of the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but why? Through him. Matthew 25, 15 says he's given to every man his several ability. That word several ability means dutimous. The, th the thing about Christianity, it's supernatural. I don't even like the word supernatural anymore. It's spiritual. You won't find the word supernatural in the Bible. It's either spiritual or natural. Christianity is spiritual from start to finish. Nothing natural about it. Nothing. It's all spiritual. And that's what makes it different from every other religion we have. He's given to every man his several ability. The word is dutimous. It's supernatural power. How many? To every man is given what? A measure of faith. Every faith, any faith you have is the faith of the Son of God. It's a gift of God. It's not your faith. So don't try to increase your faith. Just, just tap in a little more to his. Because his has no limit. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the remissions of our sins or trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. Satan's dominion over you has ended. Amen. You have to give him place for him to bother you. He has to have permission. And you have to be bold enough to say, not on my watch. You got to be bold and, and that's one of the things you see that Peter, when they observed the boldness of Peter and see these are unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge of them because they had been with Christ when they saw the boldness of these guys. That's what we have already. We don't need to go into the world. You know, in the book of Acts, he, he talks in the book of Acts about what they did. Let me see if I can, even wherever I put it. 
Uh, it don't matter. Sometimes these notes get in my way. Uh-oh. I guess he's got something to do. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to come up here and preach. I'm sorry, Alan. I, I wouldn't bring attention to what you had to do. But you know, in the, in the book of Acts, it says they, did, they didn't go in in the book of Acts apologizing for their Christian faith. They didn't, didn't want to offend, not offend anybody. I mean, that was not there when they started. Now, as the book of Acts progressive, they begin more and more to be concerned more about what the Judaizers thought and everything else because they didn't want to offend anybody. But I'm telling you, when the book of Acts started, they didn't care who they offended. And we're living in a world that's apologizing for their faith. We don't need to. We need to have boldness and, and much more as we see what's going on in this world today. The purpose of Christianity is produced in his church the nature and the consciousness of the victory Christ paid for. Let me read it in. The purpose of Christianity is to produce in his church the nature of the consciousness of the victory that Jesus paid for. It's a good thing to be good, but it's better to know why you're good. When you know why you're good, because he made you good. That's why you're good, because he's good. We're living by the goodness of another. It's a good thing to be a Christian, but it's better to know why you're a Christian and what he paid for. Knowing this, and, and many times, you know, uh, James said in one, one three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You got to know this. You got to know that. See, that's the thing that makes us different. We know who we are and what he's done for us, and we stand on that. That's what holds us. The exchange life is the foundation of the church. Anything apart from the foundation that's resting in you trying to change is a false sand that won't stand. And I, I was thinking here uh, in, in chapter, talking about the consciousness. In uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, let me go to 9, 9, Hebrews 9. Okay. Okay. Ooh, Lord, this is good. All right, verse 8, 9, 8. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holies of all was not yet made manifest while that first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure of time then present in which were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that came the service perfect as pertaining to what? The conscience. It could forgive the sins, but it could not purge the conscience from the sin. That's as far as the old law can do. Okay? Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Say, time of reformation. We call that exchange, don't we? Till the refreshing. This is the refreshing Acts talks about. This is the refreshing, Isaiah says. This is the rest wherewith you may be rested. This is the refreshing. And in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse, let me start in 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Say new heart. Say new heart. A true heart is a new heart. Now what did God say? He's going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Now listen. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold what? Fast our profession of faith without wavering. For he that is faithful that promised. Now I want to read you something from Deverne Fromke. Now, you know when I came across Ezekiel 36, 26, when I realized that he said, I'll give you a new heart and I'll take away the stony heart. And remember what he said about the old heart? It's deceitful and what? I'm going to give you a new one. He is not interested in sprinkling your heart from an evil conscience. I know what we just read, but listen to what Deverne Fromke said. This may surprise you, but did you know it's not really scriptural to speak of hearts being cleansed by the blood? This has been taught so long and faithfully, it may jolt you to realize the idea comes from a shallow interpretation of Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As one who held for many years this teaching attempts to make the blood do something it was never intended to do, I was encouraged to find that Watchman Nee deals very positively with this question. It may show a misunderstanding in the sphere which the blood operates to pray. Lord, cleanse my heart from sin by your blood. The heart, God says, is desperately sick. Jeremiah 17, 9. He must do something more fundamental than cleanse it. He must give you a new one. Do you get that once for all? We do not wash or iron wash and iron clothes we're going to throw away. As we shall shortly see, the flesh is never cleansed. It's crucified. The work of God within us must be something wholly new. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. There's a difference in seeing the blood as a cleansing agent and as a legal satisfaction, satisfaction to God. The blood is not intended to deal with sin in a subjective way. Its efficiency is objective, to be seen by God on the doorpost. Hebrew passage concerning the work of the blood does not make reference to the heart, but it's actually a relationship to the conscience, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience signifies something other than cleansing the heart. It means something comes between God and myself, causing me to have an evil conscience when I speak and approach him. My conscience is there. Your conscience is what tells you intuitively whether something's good or bad. Now, your new heart is the foundation of your soul. That's where the mind, will, and emotion operates. And your conscience is coming out of that new heart. And it's one that tells you is this is good and this is right. And you know that when it says they perceived, that's part of this conscious work. You know, uh, sometimes, uh, I'll just use this for example. This commercial come on every, every night right after the news, this guy in Amarillo trying to sell you a car. First time I heard him, I said, that man's a crook. I did, didn't I, Jenna? I said, you can't trust that guy. He's a crook. Well, I noticed Ford Motor Company has sued him for 
155 million dollars that he cheated them out of? 155 million. Where does that come from? When you say, when you sometimes do you feel guilty for judging someone because you sense this all of a sudden you can't trust that person? There's some there's something there. See, he gives it to you so you can perceive what's good. Remember what Jesus said about Jesus? He perceived in what they were thinking. He perceived already. He knew in his heart what they were thinking. He'd tell them what they're thinking many times. And that's part of that new heart, that consciousness of what's going on in, in, inside you. Okay. Christianity is spiritual from top to bottom, from center to circumference, from within, without, in all, and in all. It is the divine outflow of the holy soul of the crucified, risen, glorified Son of God. He said, I've come that you might have life. John 10, 10. And you might have it abundantly. Zoe life in the Greek says, Suke zoza. Suke is soul. Mind, will, and emotion. That's the exchange of the garden. You got a new soul. So, suke zoza is that word. Get it settled. Knowing this. That your mind, will, and emotion is part of that new soul. You got a new one. Now, the sad thing is you can go back to the old way of thinking. You can go back to the old way of feeling. But all that's just a familiar spirit reminding you of how you used to be. Because that part of you was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be disannulled. Amen? That you don't serve it anymore. Because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Because 1 John 4, 17 says what? Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of the Lord. Because as he is, so are we now in this present world. So are we what? Now in this present world. As he is, so are we now. The word of God says Jesus came to save us from our sins and to exchange us by his spirit into his very nature so that we become like him. Spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the God of all peace, sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved blameless at the manifestation of his presence. Faithful is he who called you, who has also done it. It is finished. You got to believe it's finished. You got to know that it's finished. When Jesus said it's finished, you got to know that. And you got to know that old things are passed away and behold what? All things are new. And you got to also understand that the last Adam was crucified on the cross. Say last Adam. There'll never be another Adam for the church. And the new second man with a whole new generation. There's not any Jew. There's not any Greek. There's no more, no more nothings. It's a whole new creation. Say new creation. One new man. Now think of all the confusion if you understood one new man that would come into you, the, the lack of confusion, if you could just get that straight. No mixture. No, none of this going on all the time trying to mix the two covenants up so you could have best of both worlds. God's not the author of confusion. 
That's why Jesus had to go to the cross and do what he did to be raised up so we could have a... The day of Pentecost was the manifestation of that whole brand new covenant. And with it came Peter, the one that was hiding and confessing he didn't know the guy with the curse. There's Peter, boldly proclaiming, this God whom you, Jesus, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead. And he says, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost for the promises to you and to your children, to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And they that believed said, what do we do? What do we do? When Jesus was crucified, in his resurrected soul, I'm telling you, he took our soul. In the garden when he was crying out and sweating as it were great drops of blood. The reason he was doing that because he took every one of our yucky souls in the garden. Because he, God made his soul to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took all of that. And he said three times to God, only time. He says, in the law it's written, I delight to do your will. I come to do your will, O God. Then he said, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass. Not my will, but yours will be done. More of that old junk came on him. Second time, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Not my will, but your will be done. Three times he said it. Is there another way? But he said what? John 12, 24. What shall I say, Lord, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came. Now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Why did he do that? So he could exchange our old yucky soul for a brand new God kind of soul. God life, Zoe life. You have Zoe life flowing through your veins. The life of God is flowing through you. And you see that he was crucified. In his resurrected soul, he had the consciousness that he could go into the grave, into hell, and be raised in the newness of life. In his boldness, he went after the power of death and took it captive. And he had death and hell by the throat, and he took the keys of death and hell. Turn to John 10, 17 and 18. We'll just read it together. Jesus says, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my soul. Say so. That Greek there is soul. Why does it say so? Because in Isaiah 53, 10, because it pleased God to crush Jesus to make his soul an offering for sin. His what? Soul. Mind, will, and emotion. That I might take it again. Next verse. No man takes it from me. They didn't crucify the Son of God. They nailed him to the cross, but they couldn't kill him. No man takes it from me. I, have, I let down of myself. I have power to let down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He knew this. The time of his departure was at hand, knowing that it was time. He knew. See, saints, we got to know. Don't let anything shake your knower. Confidence, boldness, knowing something, 
knowing that what he, he paid for is already yours. It's already yours. No man takes it from me. I have power to take it, lay it down, and I have power to take it up. Hebrews 2, 13 and 14 says, says this. Let me go ahead and let's read it together too. Boy, he's right on there. Okay. Hebrews 2, 13 14. See, he's only there. I will push my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God hath given me. Next verse. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood. He said, I and the children. Say, that's me. That the Lord has given me. That's Isaiah chapter 8. Are for signs and wonders in Israel. We're spiritual. We're supernatural. We should listen. Why did he, why are we all part of the body of Christ and members one of another? Spiritual part. Why are we spiritual? I know where I'm going. I can't tell Rod yet, but I know where we're going. Okay. All right. Passion Rod, Ephesians 4. Verse 11, and he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some grace to be prophets, some grace to be evangelists, some with great to be pa- grace to be pastors, some grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers, say that's me, to do their own work of ministry, say my, my work of ministry. Every single person here has a work of ministry. And as they do, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministers will function until, say until. Until. They'll not function in heaven. You will not need them. They don't need to be functioning on earth if we know who we are. Okay? These grace ministers, until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. To what? Know the Son of God. Okay. And finally, we become one into a perfect man, one body, with all the full dimensions of spiritual maturity, fully developed into the abundance of Christ. Christ plus what? Nothing. Christ is all and in you all. And then our immaturity will end and will not easily be shaken or troubled, nor led astray by novel teachings and false doctrines by deceivers who teach clever lies, but instead, we'll remain strong and always in sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and let us de- lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church, his image. That's the goal. What is the goal? Now, the footnote here says this. He says, uh, hmm, okay, 413 says the word for uh, perfect, the word implies perfection that cannot come to the body of Christ without the example and teaching of the five ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You need all five of them to see the full manifestation of the body of Christ as they develop all those different areas in the body as it learns to minister to each other. And every one of us has been given gifts What's the gifts for, me or somebody else? Somebody else. As we exhort and encourage one another and do our part, we build up the rest of the body. It was never intended to be a spectator sport. Never. 
It was intended to be a body, a functioning body. The body of Christ, that's who we are. One new man. Say, one new man, the body of Christ. Amen? Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Christ himself likewise, took part of the same, that he might destroy, render useless, idle him that hath the power of death. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subjects to bondage. Jesus said the last, or Paul said, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I got news for you. Jesus has the keys of death and hell. The last enemy has already been destroyed. What did Jesus say? He that believeth into me, though he live, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth into me shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. Jesus never talked about dying. He talked about sleeping. Why? Because he has the keys of death and hell. When we leave here, we won't die. Yeah, you'll have to do something with this body. I I just recommend you get rid of it as quick as possible and get it out of the way. Because that ain't who we'll be. We're to be that exchange, the last exchange. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Exchange is that Greek word. We'll all be exchanged in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the rest of ourselves, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. You'll take a breath, you'll take your last breath, and that last breath will be your first breath. Remember many times in funerals, I said for years, death is the reality of eternal life. It's the birthing of the reality of what you already had. At the moment of death, is it the moment of that total exchange? That's who we are now. That's already done. The consciousness of the presence is already there. That's why Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one that leads and guides us into all truth because he is, what's he doing? He is the one that's in charge of Ephesians 4, the apostles. He's the one gifting all these things. What for? Ephesians, Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. We all beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being exchanged into the same image, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Even by what? The Spirit of the Lord. I don't know, but He's in charge of the kingdom. God put the Holy Ghost in charge of the kingdom, and He's here building up the kingdom and getting it ready. Present to Himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So we see that Peter. Hallelujah. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit words and they're life. They're spirit and life. When we become conscious of our union with the Trinity, we live in our new hearts, burning with Zoe life in our lives, living in rest and peace. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Revelation 118. Who's got the key? 
He does. We don't need to give Satan any more credit than he deserves. Amen? But see, we need to see God's plan. You know, when I got saved, and I'll close with this, my friend asked me, if you die right now, will you go to heaven or hell? I said, well, I guess I'll go to hell. He said, you don't have to. So he took me through the Roman road. And I was so happy to know that I wasn't going to hell. Then I realized, hey, I'm going to heaven. I got excited about going to heaven. And that's where most people spend the rest of their Christian life, waiting to get to go to heaven when they die. But like Deverne Frumke says, whether you go to hell or you go to heaven, it's still all selfish. God's got a higher purpose than just keeping you out of hell or bringing you to heaven. God wants your fellowship with you. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into. Koinonia, knowing. That word knowing is intimacy. Knowing something. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So what was God's purpose to bring us all back? Why did he create Adam and Eve? You know, God had a lot going on. But he came every evening to fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. So why did he create them? For fellowship. Why has he done all that he's done for us? For fellowship. That which we've seen and heard, 1 John, declaring we to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. This is eternal life that you may know him. Jesus Christ, the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent to know. See, I'm saying we got to come to the place where our foundation is knowing something. That we're consciousness. Our consciousness is of the victory of what Christ has done from you. If you hold the beginning of your confidence, how long? How long? To the end. Why does it say to the end? Because these other people are out trying to teach you something besides that. They're trying to pull you out of looking to Christ and looking at yourself. So, yeah, I know Christ did all that, but you got to do this, 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 this if you want to stay saved. 90% of religion is telling you that. I'm telling you what, you better get in the rest and get in the peace and, and get in your position and don't be moved. You're made partakers of Christ if you hold the beginning of your confidence steadfast to the end. Amen? We're not of those that draw back, Hebrews says. Cast not away your confidence with that great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might stand. Now he that comes will come and will not tarry. Hebrews 10, 35, Rod, somewhere. I won't let you see it. Rod's looking at me. When he looks at me, I know what he's thinking. I can't go there if you don't tell me where you're going. Okay. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Next. For you have need of what? And don't pray for it. Tribulation worketh patience. 
that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Next verse. Yet for a little while, and he that come will come and will not tarry. Next verse. Now the just shall live by faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him quickly. But we're not of them that draw back unto perdition, but to them that believe to the saving of the soul, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I'd encourage you, punch in the word life and look every place where the word life is soul. Amen. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love not our souls unto death. Did you catch it? Your what? Your souls. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotion. That includes your heart. You got a new heart, new mind, will, and emotion. Just get over it. That's who you are. You're seated with him right now in heavenly places. Your spirit's seated in that place and position of who you are. And everything in this world wants to take you out of your position of rest and peace and your position of dominion. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have dominion. Walk in that conscious, but it has to come from right here, right in here. The consciousness of knowing that you have the victory Christ paid for. And don't be moved. Don't be moved by circumstances or situations. Well, I hope I'm, I am. I hope. No. You got to know. You got to know in your knower of what he's done and not be moved away from that. Let us stand. Well, the Lord has blessed you, and the Lord has poured out his spirit for you. The Lord will bless you, and he has lifted up his countenance upon you, and he's given you peace, and the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and the Prince of Peace is your, your life, your rest, your life, and, and this covenant I will not break, nor will I alter the thing that's going out of my mouth. You can take it to the bank. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word won't. Amen. All right.